This is a Soul Fire production. Are you ready to enhance your sexual, erotic, and relational intelligence? Welcome to Higher Sex, where we take sex education to the next level. Come here to get curious about sex and cultivate acceptance, deep love, and intimacy. No topic is too hot to handle. As a psychotherapist and sexologist, Kelly playfully leads listeners through worlds of informative and actionable sex education, personal stories from her inspirational guests, and leading edge research from trusted experts. Higher sex is scandalous and explorative, leaving you wanting more. Let's keep this conversation going. Subscribe today so you don't miss out on these hot new episodes each week. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Higher Sex. I have got a treat for you today. Dr. Kat Meyer is on the show. She is the host of Eat, Play, Sex and Erotically Wasted, which are two incredible podcasts, so I encourage you to check those out. She is also a licensed couples therapist, sex therapist, yoga instructor, Reiki practitioner, published researcher, and speaker. She's really dedicated to evolving the relationship we have surrounding sexuality and our bodies specifically. She's trained in psychology, somatic therapy, EMDR therapy, like the list goes on. She works in private practice as well as puts on a lot of workshops and retreats internationally as well. Check out her website, Sex Love Yoga. She co-hosts Undone, which is a women's slow flow central yoga experience, which really supports people into dropping into our bodies and learning to feel ourselves from the inside. She is also the co-creator of Goddess celebration and she really has cultivated and created a sensual yoga program and she does sensual yoga workshops online as well so please check her out i'm really excited for you to participate and learn and listen to this podcast because i think you're gonna get a lot out of it so enjoy thanks everyone for tuning in Welcome, 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 Dr. Kat. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, Higher Sex. I've been a huge fan of yours. I am an active huge fan of yours, and so I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yay, me too. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, I was. <laughs> thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. So a couple things that I wanted to start off with is that you really focus on embodiment and sensuality, and I know yoga is a big part of your work. And I'm not a huge yogi myself, but I do love taking yoga classes, so I just love to get your perspective on how you feel like that can help your clients, community members, everyone to feel more sensual and drop into their own bodily experiences and how your journey started there. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with, I was 19, about 1920 when I first started teaching yoga. I think I took my first yoga class at 18 and I realized that this was one of the first times that I felt really calm and safe in my body. It was during the Shavasana, which is the final resting pose. And I was laying there after like this really tragic, difficult, <laughs> you know, stress inducing class. I was like, Oh, oh my God, I'm not in shape. Um, but it was laying there that I was like almost to tears. Cause I was like, wow, I feel really still and calm because I, I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression and I felt like those were relationships that were always with me. So to have this peace and quiet in my body was really profound. And that's what started me on this journey of discovering, okay, what is yoga? And then going into the teaching of it. And 
I, I believe most people, when they think of yoga, they think of oh, going to yoga works and taking this yoga class with like, my super hot Lululemon pants, you know? And like, yes, yes, <laughs> that's me sometimes. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. Totally. Me too. And it is so much more than that. So it's expanding the definition of what we know of yoga to be this class that we go to in that in and of itself. If you just do that, it's so incredible. And I'll tell you why. Um, but it's also the breath work. It's also, you know, controlling your own breath, which makes a major impact of your orgasmic potential and your circulation in your blood system to be able to increase arousal, but also the connection with your body. So reconnecting, reestablishing that mind and body connection where so oftentimes we can get stuck in our heads or we can start doing a to-do list when we're having sex or we struggle with getting sexual desire even turned on. And so I see yoga as this all-encompassing mind-body holistic way of being able to redevelop the relationship with our body so that we can redevelop this relationship with around our sexualities. And if we even think about just the physical aspect of just the moving, what we call the asana or the pose practice of yoga, it's stretching, it's opening the body, it is calming the nervous system down. Mm -hmm. So which helps to really open us up from any tensions that we're holding down in our body. The armor that we formed in the body as a result of all these contractions and you know, being told don't do that, or these traumas from our past that cause us to be really rigid, which does not translate to really good sex. It translates to being a like a log in right. the bedroom, and, and like you can't orgasm with that. No, you really enjoy and drop into your pleasure senses too, because you you talk a lot about how you can rewire your body to respond differently to different types of touch. So, can you talk more about that? I think you were just starting to touch on that, where it really is about what is sex supposed to look like, or what should you do? Whereas like if you embody a practice such as yoga or essential yoga as you have created as well, that you can start to see what you actually want and desire and how your body's responding to things versus just doing that performance driven style of sex or sexuality or your body's just responding to old cues that maybe are no longer serving you. Yeah. Yeah. Our bodies are incredibly intelligent. We rely so much on our brain and the intelligence of our brain. And yet we have to remember that our brain also makes up a lot of stories. And yet the body is in constant communication with our environment. We call this neuroception. So it's picking up cues in our environment and it's labeling them as something that's dangerous, stressful, or a threat or safety. And so our body's responding to this as like contractions or expansions, like opening of the body, flutters, you know, tingliness and Oftentimes, instead, our body will react and then our brain will make a story out of it. But if instead we start focusing on the body and we stay with the body sensations and we really tune into what's there and what's alive, we can actually tap into an even deeper truth to ourselves instead of just the story that our brain is trying to make sense of what it's picking up that may be based in what's here, or it may be based on a previous reference point or a time in the past that isn't actually present here, but it was reminded (laughs) by some sort of stimuli here. So it can help us to detangle and get to know what that deeper truth is or how to strengthen our intuition happens here in the body. It's felt. 
not yeah. just thought. And it gives you that space and time where you can actually have the space and time to actually feel that and experience that and unravel some of that, right? Because you said you even work with a lot of people who are, I mean, the empires, the creators of the world, these people who are just always on the go. I mm-hmm. can imagine you're even one of those people, or at least we're <laughs> one of those people with all that you do. It's like you're a therapist, you have your doctorate, you put on all of these workshops, you travel the world putting on all these educational talks as well too. And then you're always educating people online and you have two podcasts. Yeah, I know. And the list goes on. I'm not, and these are off the top of my head. I can only imagine. So how do you work with people and really encourage them and even, I guess, model or mimic or what are some other ways where people can really still live maybe that high go, go, go type of lifestyle if they love it, but also make sure they don't go beyond their window of tolerance and they're only living in that place where it's burnout and they lose their sense of vitality and pleasure. So how can they balance, loaded question, how do you balance it all? And then how do you say... And how do you support some of the people that you work with in being able to make sure they press the pause button from time to time and take stock and really check in with themselves? Yeah, yeah. So let's entangle that amazing <laughs> mesh of questions. I think I put there. it out of my mouth the way that people live it. Like- <laughs> right? It's a perfect model of exactly what happens in our head. Yeah. So speaking for myself, like this is the journey of myself. It was going into this go, go, go. I was constantly producing, constantly creating, doing, busyness. And to understand first, and this is what I help my clients with, is to understand what is that serving you? Like, what is that doing for you? Because it's more than likely a protective strategy that we've learned from early on to be able to deal with some of these really distressing, uncomfortable, painful, traumatic experiences in our life, whether that's from um, our family of origin or something that we experienced outside of the family, um, among peers, or even just the pressures of this culture. So for me, it was having to unravel that Because even if I started to slow down and do sensuality and do all these things that I've felt like I was supposed to do, that would continue to creep up because it was such a deeply ingrained default strategy for me to be able to protect myself, protect myself from feeling, protect myself from deeper intimacy, protect myself from this belief that I was a loser and and this, this protection from the distress of being alone or lonely. So I I think that is really important to understand. What's the root of this? How is this protecting me? How is this serving me in this life? Because then we can really speak to that resistance and acknowledge with compassion, okay, that part of me is just trying to take care of me Mm -hmm. and the best way that it knows how. And right now it's being a crazy, like badass boss babe. Right. We can work with that. You know, we can, we can work with that. We can speak to that part of me and listen to what that part of me actually needs from me. And in my own work and in the work that oftentimes with my clients is discovering, oh, that part of me actually needs affection, needs attention, needs fun. Creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And then the moment that we can realize that we can give that to ourselves and the incessant pressure of having to perform or do or accomplish can calm. And in that space that we create, we fill that with something that would be more nourishing. So what I teach people is around sensuality and being sensuality is the 
platonic relationship with our body. So not even just sexuality. I think it's mixed so often in our culture. Yeah, it's, it's used interchangeably often. I find that people are using that. Um, so c- can you discern yeah. for us, like what is the difference between sensuality and sexuality and how sensuality, as you said, can be platonic, but also can be sexual if you so choose? I think a big reason that they're interchanged is because of these changing social media, <laughs> you know, terms of use and, and restrictions. Yeah. Um, God and marketing. Marketing's big. They're like, oh, well, sensuality is more acceptable than sexuality, so we'll just use this. Or intimacy is interchangeable with sexuality, but that's not true. These yeah, are so many forms things. of intimacy. Yes, yes. Right. And sexuality is a, can be a form of sensuality, but sensuality is this simply the acknowledgement, the attention of our body, the relationship to the body, the affection, the attention, the allowance of the body. And the enjoyment of pleasure through the body, through the five senses. So it's really enjoying the world and everything around us through these five senses, through the body. And that can be connected with sex and it can make sex so juicy because it's just like, oh, I smell my partner's hair. I I taste the salt of their skin or I feel whatever I'm feeling in my body, you know. It, or you're taking it in. You're enjoying this delicious dinner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also, but you can also have sensuality without sexuality. And that's just the enjoyment of my tea. You know, I'm feeling the steam on my face or really lavishing in the taste of this, you know, rose tea in my mouth, you know, and just really sinking into that. There's nothing sexual about that. But what does happen is that when we are enjoying our senses, when we're so deeply in that, then we can feel some tingliness. We can feel some of the sexual arousal come up and then we're like, oh. And for some of us, that can be really triggering, especially if we have a challenging relationship around sexuality. And you don't have to allow it to go there. You can just be like, okay, well, I'm just gonna breathe into that and shift out and come back into the enjoyment. Or you can really ride along with that and allow the expansion of the pleasure through your body to really permeate and amplify what you can then take into the bedroom. I love that. And I love that the way that you're even explaining it sounds so non-threatening and gentle and doable and enjoyable. And you don't need to even plan it out. You can do it at any time, whether you're at a stoplight or you're going for a walk and you're feeling like the breeze on your face. I, Because sometimes I find when I'm working with partners, when they feel so cut off from their sexuality, that it's like, where do we start? It feels like this big mountain to climb. So mm-hmm. would you say that sensuality is one of the ways that you really encourage mindfulness, sensuality, having a practice to feel into their bodies is one of the biggest ways for people to start to explore themselves and what just feels good platonically, as you were saying, and then to see if they can build up that comfort or tolerance to then see if it can transfer into the bedroom. Absolutely. Yeah. I would say it's very foundational because again, sex is so much better when we can enjoy it from the body, (laughs) you know, and like we wonder why we have so many challenges around, you know, having low sexual desire or having difficult time, like syncing up with our partner or even just getting in the mood. And, And I think coming back into the body, coming back into learning that intelligence of the body, developing, cultivating that relationship with the body here is that foundation 
foundational piece. Now, uh, speaking to earlier what you said about having working with entrepreneurs and empire builders, people, women and men who are very busy. Right. And I think we've been fed this image of sensuality that it's women, you know, with flower crowns and then like super flowy dresses. And they're like, oh, I just like lay around all day eating grapes, you know. <laughs> It's Fanny. Like, Fanny right, by the pool. Right, right. And yet that's really not accessible. And it can be for many of us, for me, it was a turnoff. I was like, ah, that's not so far away. Yeah. Yeah. Not me. I'd rather like hang out in my sweatpants and like, you know, yeah, not do that. <laughs> and um, so I think it's redefining even sensuality as and making it more accessible, like bring it into it doesn't have to be like two hours of self pleasure. It can be something that is more accessible that you like you said earlier, as you're driving in the car. Or as you're sitting at your desk, it's reconnecting with your body. It's like touching your legs. It's circulating your hips. It's allowing yourself to deepen your breath or allowing yourself to even just get up and dance. Like all of this is inclusive and it's so accessible. So I had just run a sensual awakening course for yes. women. Tell us yeah. more about that. And so it was 14 days of an introduction to sensuality, like an initiation into the lifestyle. And I broke it down each day into these bite sized pieces. And one of those days was, I called them, uh, well, I explained really how our, why we have a difficult time dropping into sensuality because our body and our nervous system can kick into high gear. And it's hard to be sensual when you're on the edge of yourself. And when you're yes. anxious, when you're just like buzzing, right? And so teaching women how to self-regulate, how to get back into the body so that they can open to more of these sensual practices and using something that is easy. You know, I call them BAM exercises, bare ass minimum. Ooh, <laughs> and, <I> like that. <laughs> yeah. Just something super simple to regulate your nervous system just so that you're now connected with it. Breath is one of those. Drinking a glass of water and paying attention to it is another one of those rocking from foot to foot side to side you know these are practices I use with my trauma clients in therapy but it works well for everyone because we all get dysregulated disconnected from our body we all move way faster than sensuality allows us to like sensuality or if you're moving fast you can't be sensual right they don't work at the same time. So it's slowing that back down, reconnecting. And then it's like, okay, now can I can enjoy this blueberry. <laughs> right. But beforehand, I sat down to eat this blueberry. I ate the whole fucking tub. It's like, <laughs> it's gone. And I don't even know. I can't remember what it tasted like. <laughs> that is so funny that you're even saying that because there are these like little Welchers like snacks that we have at our office. And there's one therapist and she'll eat like one at a time. And I'm like putting the whole thing in my mouth sometimes. I'm like, how could you eat those one at a time? <laughs> And it's like exactly talking about a whole bin of blueberries or just mm -hmm. one at a time. But what I love about what you're saying right now too is that because sometimes when I think about it or when I see that people kind of have this resistance or they feel intimidated by something, it's going from fast paced, like high achieving lifestyle to then, you know, hit the yoga mat hard. And so that can feel like a big disparity there. Whereas when you're talking about just grab a drink of water and pay attention to how that like feeling in your body or put on a song and dance a little bit and rock side to side. Like I love that it, you're talking about all these transition points, like an entry points into that place of sensuality. It's not just about, okay, stop what you're doing and hit the matter, hit Shavasana. What you're saying, it sounds doable and manageable if you can just catch yourself and be intentional about it. 
Can you share a few other um, entry points that you feel like, especially for people who are living that fast-paced lifestyle where they can just catch themselves and start to build up, I guess, the tolerance to slowing down and feeling sensual within themselves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and again, I'll come back to you first, identify how is this serving me? Yeah. Because again, you're just going to keep going because like if I slow down, there's going to be, there's going to activate a part of me. That's a protector part of me. That's going to say like, we can't slow down because then you're going to be a loser. You're going to be a failure. And you're going right. to, so then it's like, it causes even more fear and panic to slow down. So we have to acknowledge that first. And then I would say, you know, you use the word transition and I love the word transition because it's not given enough weight of how powerful it is. A transition is the space in between from moving from one thing to another. And so how we treat that space in between allows us to either put an end cap on one thing so that we can start another and so that we can be fully present in each one of those things. So before I hopped on here, you know, I was doing a little bit of work, a little bit of social media work and, you know, da, 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 da. and then I was like, okay, so for this podcast, I really want to be fully present. I really, really want to be in my body, vibrant, alive. So I took about it was about 10 minutes. I put on a killer song and I danced around and then I did a little self-pleasure practice and just allowed my hands to just move and caress and feel the contours of my body and just be in that and soak in that. And, and it didn't take much time. It was just very simple. And here I sat down and I was fully ready to go with you. So it's, I think that's the same as we move transition from work to home, or we transition from putting the kids to bed to sexy time, or, you know, just to realize there is this potent, powerful experience that we have in between. And we can oftentimes fall into the trap of guilting ourselves and and say, oh, I'm just not in the mood. Well, okay, no, of course you're not going to be in the mood if you were in your laptop all day, you know, like (laughs) sending out emails. Like, take a moment, connect with your body, put lotion on, take a bath. You know, those are transition uh, experiences that can put you more into the mood. Right. Instead of just being like, I'm just not into it. And then it's like cutting it there. Right. Give yourself a chance. Yeah. Give (laughs) yourself a chance if if you have the energy for it, right? Well, and that's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm saying is like sometimes I don't have the energy. Mm. And so every night before I go to bed, I lay on the floor and I stretch to open my body. It actually helps my legs to relax and helps me to settle into sleep. Those nights where sometimes I'm like, I just want to like go straight to bed or like scroll on Instagram for a really long time, you know? (laughs) And, and then I'll, you know, I'll I'll allow myself to do that. And then I'm like, "Mm, no, like you really need to get out of bed and do that because it's, it's so much help. It helps you so much more, but I don't have the energy, but if you literally just do it. (laughs) And so then, right. And so from the bed, which is, you know, I'm still with the resistance, but I'm not fully given into it. I'll just start stretching. And then I'll be like, oh, this is annoying. I don't have enough space. So then I crawl onto the floor and then I'm like, and then I'm like, oh, and then I'll end up staying there for like another 20 minutes. And all it is, is just, you know, staying with my resistance, but moving just a little nugget, just a little bit 
to be able to get some energy flowing. And then once you're there, then it becomes a lot easier too. It's leaning into the discomfort, not going a full 180, because sometimes that can be like, no, right. (laughs) You're you're going with it, perhaps slowly. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I really love that you're touching on just these opportunities you're giving to yourself and you're just being a bit more intentional. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be all day, every day, but maybe just as you're crawling into bed, if you're feeling wiped out, but you're about to grab the phone and do some escapism or mindless scrolling, is there a healthier choice? Is How is this serving me? And is there a healthier choice And even just starting the movements in your bed? If you fall asleep during that time, fine. But if it starts feeling good, roll onto the floor and keep going. Like follow the pleasure and follow what feels energizing or good for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do want to follow up with not to shame yourself if you do end up doing these things. Because again, yeah. scrolling on Instagram mindlessly is also a protective strategy for us to, you know, step out of the space of whatever stress or whatever discomfort we may be experiencing. And like, yes, the, you know, feeling that and leaning into that is definitely going to process things way faster than scrolling on Instagram (laughs) and be kind to yourself. Because if you don't have the compassion for yourself, you're just going to loop into shame. And that doesn't help any of this doesn't help your liberation, doesn't help your sexuality, doesn't help anything. You know, we do this with body image too. You know, we we criticize our body, we're mean to our body, and then we're like, oh, I'm being mean to my body. I'm such an unevolved human, you know. And, and it's such and, a battle, yeah. Yeah, and then I I firmly believe to get out of that cycle is just to simply be nice to yourself, be kind, be compassionate, allow yourself to recognize that the collective woman, the collective man, experience experiences this. And then to just witness it and just be like, oh, here I am not being very kind to myself again. I wonder what's going on that I'm doing this again. You know, and th- that helps us to relax and expand and open. And we can do something with that versus just the shaming and judging and just be like, uh, doing that, calling myself these awful things again. Yeah. Such an asshole to myself. Such a- right. And then beating yourself up for being an asshole to yourself because you're on yourself on <laughs> one hand, like do more. I need to be achieving. No one will like me if I don't. I'm not a perfectionist and whatnot. And then on the other hand, it's like, whoa, I'm being really mean to myself. What's wrong with you? I'm not an evolved person. And so it really is about disrupting that. And I love what you're talking about, a self-compassion piece, because and, I, and you're bringing up these defenses because at one time, these defenses, and sometimes they still are, they served you and they've gotten you to this place. And so don't just shame them or scold them because maybe at one time you really needed them and they served you and they got you to exactly where you are, but they're no longer serving you at this point. Do you help people kind of identify where they came from and be curious with them so then they have a deeper understanding versus just have the feeling reaction to it? Yeah. And You know, I really focus on the body aspect and allow the body to tell us a story. Yeah. So, because there are so many external factors that influence our internal programming of how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see each other. And what I know has caused those influences me, while they may be very similar to the other person, I, I believe it's more potent and powerful to come straight from that other person. Because otherwise, it 
truly is just a projection of my intelligence and knowledge onto the other person, my education. And I, I really want to honor that this person is also incredibly intelligent and wise and the wiz and the expert of their own body. So by them learning how to tune in, how to question, how to be curious, how to be compassionate with their own bodies and acknowledging these roots for themselves it allows them to be the author of their own unique story. And I think that's really important in a world that loves statistics and generalizations and, and applying like, this is what sex looks like for everyone. This is what a hot person looks like for everyone. You know, right. it just doesn't help anyone. And I even, I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier today. Um, I went down <laughs> a rabbit hole with those, but it was even how you were saying how if you, you can get caught up in always trying to do the personal self-development aspect of things. If you expect yourself to be perfect and not have tendencies or human aspects of yourself too, where it's like, you're always chasing for maybe a standard that isn't even realistic. It's like superhuman, I believed is what you, mm-hmm. what you called it. So it's, I, and from what I'm hearing, it's like really how to embrace all of yourself and, and the human aspects of yourself, but have the time to be able to do that. Can you touch on that just a little bit more? Cause I found like that really resonated with me when I heard you talking about that. Yeah. So I find oftentimes in my, in my clients, you know, as we're exploring, they will say something like, I really just don't want to have these reactions in my body. And so then I'm like, okay, ding, how do you define healed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, what'll come out is, is they'll say, well, like, I just won't be, I'll be sovereign. I'll be uninfluenced by all these other things that are going on around me. I won't be um, an empath. <laughs> That's another word that I hear a lot is sovereign and empath. I hear so often and, and people like to identify themselves. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and they're like, I, I won't be affected by all these other things. And I'm like, oh, so you won't be human. And they're like, Wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you see, so you want to be a superhero, basically, or an alien, because it's not that we aren't, that we don't have distressing days. It's not that we don't cry or get angry or get, you know, have emotional experiences or meltdowns. Like I had a meltdown last week. Great. And it's, it's not about that. It's about fully claiming and honoring these experiences, these human experiences. It's allowed allowing them to be present. And, and I think that's the key word, presence, the awareness of them, the permission of them. So yes, we can be bowled over by uh, emotions and they can make us feel flooded and, and lose all sense of time. And, and, and we can also give it a dimmer switch and say, okay, let's just turn the volume down so I can actually hear you. That way, the tantrum can still be there, but it's, <laughs> we can learn about the tantrum. We can allow it to be here. We fully accept ourselves in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if we don't love ourselves in that, that part of us yet, we can start with the acceptance of it. And there's a lot that we can work there. I, be- I believe that is the more evolved version. <laughs> yes. Um, not this like image of being a monk who's not phased by anything at all. Right. It's not going to have bad days, right? Or feel triggered or activated by certain things as well. Because I think even what you said is how people can feel like they've, okay, I I get this. I've worked through this. I've mastered this. Okay, good. I've really resolved that within myself. But then maybe a month or a year goes by and it's like, oh, here comes a nugget. Here comes something. There it is. Or there's something new. And it's like, 
oh, I thought I worked through this again. And then in comes that judgment or holding yourself to an unrealistic standard. So I love that you are, are saying like, it really mm-hmm. is about accepting and loving and having that compassion through those harder times too, because you're human and you're going to have those. And if you don't allow yourself to fully have these, that will impact your sex life mm. because sex requires us to be fully let go, fully surrendered, open, whether you're a man, woman, other gender identifying person, sexual energy to move through your body has to be, uh, your body has to be open. There has to be spaciousness and emotion. If we're not processing emotion causes tension in our body, causes us to be more rigid, to hold the emotion. And many of us have that strategy to not emote in order to be loved and received or to feel belonged, you know, or they had this belief that emotion, emoting is dangerous or it is weak or it is, you know, this, that, or the other. And so we clench or we hold it or we, you know, pretend like it's not there. We brush it under the rug, but all of that is still leaking energy. It's still activating the nervous system, even if we're not connected to it. And it's still causing the body to contract, to hold it. And sexual energy cannot flow so easily through that. Right. It sucks. It, it sucks. It, it gets sucks. stuck. <laughs> that sucks. And it, and it then sucks. that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it can amplify your orgasmic potential. It can amplify your, your pleasure potential. And then even some of the best sex is ones where I'm like crying in orgasm because an orgasm is a full release of the body. And with that can oftentimes come emotion. Anger can come up in sex. Tears can come up in sex. So fear, like so much can come up and all of it is welcome, you know? And, and I think there's this image of sex that sex has to be the super hot, passionate, like has yeah. to look this way. But some of the best sex I've had, I was like snotty tears, like <laughs> probably the ugliest. It did not face look ever. pretty, but it felt good, right? Oh, good Lord. And everybody benefited from that because it's like, <laughs> You know, it's me full in the pleasure and the release and the letting go, the surrender and and just like pleasure can move through that. Yeah. And you talk a lot about um, creating safe places and community. And I know through a lot of your programs, you allow people to kind of pace themselves in that so they don't have to rush through it. But you also really bring in this sense of community and connection and feel like you want people to be able to feel unguarded around other people. I know you're doing that through your program now, but even you put on a lot of retreats and you, you've created sensual yoga where you bring people together where they can start to kind of process and work through this or work on this or create space for this with in the presence of other people. So can you tell me about your experience and why you feel like that's so crucial to some of the work and the offerings that you provide people? Yeah, I I feel community is a critical aspect for lasting change because if we are having a unique idea or belief in our mind and nobody else around us is believing that or supporting that, it can activate the fear of the risk of not belonging or losing connection with another. And that is a deep primal human need. And it can be enough to prevent, to keep us small, to keep us from being fully expressed, to keep us from dressing in a different way. I'm from a small town in Missouri and I was definitely different (laughs) throughout my life. But 
I really, in order to feel like I belonged, I really had to wear certain things or listen to different types, certain types of music and act a specific way so that I would feel like I belonged. Now, as a result of that, I felt incredibly alone. Yeah. And, and I believe so many of us out here, wherever we're from, can hit up against that as we're maturing, as we're growing, as we're asking bigger questions of ourselves. And now that we have access to people all over the globe through podcasts, through Facebook, Instagram, uh, through online programs, which is what I lead, and retreats, Mm -hmm. we can come together and discover like my people who are also interested in similar things right. and we can feel like, Oh, I'm not alone. And it's safe for me to start exploring or questioning or trying this thing on because I can receive, you know, as much as validation gets a bad rep, it's also very helpful for us because it helps us to feel like we're seen, we're understood, we belong. Um, so we make sense mm-hmm. through all survival strategies that we actually do need. So let's stop shaming validation, needing validation, and just like honoring that that's a tool that we can have and that we can use for our safety. And so these retreats, you know, having a week where women can run around naked, you know, they can Mm -hmm. hang out with each other. They can try out uh, yoni egg practices with each other. We can do, you know, primal screams and like moving the body and twerking and like whatever it is that gets them to move and emote and express and in the safety of other women who are doing the same, it's like permission. Mm -hmm. We see another woman doing that. We're like, oh, okay, there's a reference point that I actually can do that too. And so we learn from each other and we support each other and we see each other. And that helps us, helps us to grow and not feel so alone in all of this. Yeah. And, and even just hearing you talk about community and even um, women particularly coming together, I feel like there's such like a, a safeness and comfort in that because sometimes even it can be too hard or maybe even too invasive to be, try to work through this just in the context of a partnership too, where it's like if you have a larger community and you can try some different things on and bring that even into the partnership or vice versa, if you feel some blocks and you're like, okay, I'm going to try to work this so through my central yoga class, or you know what, I feel like I've taken as far as I can with my, my partner or partners right now, I'm going to go to a retreat and see how much more I can drop into myself where you don't always need to do it with one or a few other people. You can really do it in a larger community. So I love that you offer that. Yes. And I believe that to (laughs) not put so much pressure on our partner to be the source of our healing, to be the source of all the love and all the, all the things, because that's, that's a lot of pressure to be one human being. And so if we can make other people in our community the source of our, of our regulation, you know, we can lean on them. We can reach out to our girlfriend. We can, you know, lean on a therapist or on a coach or somebody else to help us in those areas. It, it helps to take the pressure off of our partner and helps them remain our partner. <laughs> like we don't, if we put so much on them to be the source of all of our love and all of our meeting us and all these aspects, it can turn our partner into our dad or into our mom or a figure. And that's not sexy. That's not sexy. (laughs) Take care of me. (laughs) (laughs) me. Yeah. It's hard. Too many roles. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. So let's keep our partners sexy. You know, like they can they can nurture us, sure, but but to to turn them into being that all everything is just that's that's too much. Yeah. Well, I just want to I want to finish it up with how do you balance everything from like the retreats, the essential yoga, <laughs> the online learning, and therapy? Like, do you have like set days for each thing, or are they all sort of as it comes up? Like, how do you manage like your flow of what's feeling good for you and serving you as well as your clients and community members? You know, I'm an okay organized person. Ah, <laughs> there you go. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm also like fly by the seat of my pants all the time, you know, but I, I, I think the biggest thing that has helped me is being very intentional about morning practice. Okay. And also hiring people to be able to support me and to be able to hold these different things for me that I'm not, that aren't my zone of genius. That's really important to be, yes, I can literally master everything along this path. Like when I didn't have any money, I did create, you know, create my own website and like create all these things by myself, but it's exhausting. I don't need to do that. So it's inviting other people who share this mission, who share this passion and who are good at what they're doing. Moving away from this model of we do everything by ourselves for independently, you know, I'm so strong. I'm not strong if I ask other people for help. Right. It is allowing yourself. And for some of us, and including me especially, that was a risk to lean into other people and let other people show up for me because right. it was, it threatened this like, well, I can't ask of too much of another person. I can't ask for these things because I might get rejected or I can't ask, I'll be a burden. And so letting people know that that's a vulnerability and then still leaning into that and then discovering who can help support me yeah. in building this out. So those are the people who helped set up organization for me. These are the people who set up like, yes. you know. Yeah, so you can me. focus on your zone of genius, right? And what really lights you up and fuels you too. Yeah, and it creates spaciousness for me so that I can be authentic with exactly what I teach. Yeah. I can't be teaching and talking all these things if I'm not doing it. Not practicing, embodying. Everybody feels that. It's just not, yeah. It's false advertising and we don't need any more of that. No. Don't need any more of that. Yes. Uh, Dr. Kat, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm putting all of your information in the show notes. And I know you have two incredible podcasts that are also very different from one another. Can you, before we wrap up, just tell us a little bit about how they're different? Because Erotically Wasted is a really cool one that's more recent compared to your Eat, Play, Sex too. So Eat, Play, Sex is all expert oriented. They're conversations around sex, love, and nutrition. And Erotically Wasted is a pet project that started at the beginning of quarantine last year, (laughs) all erotic stories and with the desire to just help people reconnect with that erotic part of them, the dirty part of them, the fantasy part of them, where so oftentimes we we don't nourish our eroticism enough. Right. We, we, you know, focus again on the busyness of things, but then how much do we actually sit in fantasy and allow our bodies and our minds to simmer in that mm. space? Like it helps to nourish and build and grow just like a plant. You know? <laughs> yes. Gotta water it. Water, I was just gonna say, water that plant. Water your erotic mind. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Yes, thank you. I'm super, super turned on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That makes two of us. Lit up. Yes. <laughs>